0: Welcome to the Upriser Podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Upriser focuses on technology conversations centered in the future of work and how new technologies are applied and how work evolves. The Upriser Podcast is brought to you by TopCoder. Hey everyone, this is Clinton Bonner for the the Upriser Podcast. Today I've got a special guest, the Associate Vice Chancellor, which is a pretty cool name, Paul Robin, out at UCSD. That's for those who don't know, University of California, San Diego. Not a bad campus, and we're going to have a great discussion, really, around the the ecosystem and creating the right environments in order to basically breed entrepreneurs and breed innovation. I'm excited to dive into this with uh, with Paul. Paul, it looks like you got a lovely day. You know, San Diego typically has lovely days, but you're outside, it's sunny. How's it going for you today?
1: It is going fantastic. It's always a beautiful day in San Diego. That's, that's, one of the
0: uh, nicest places in the world to live, right? Uh, exactly. And, and here I am in, in Connecticut, but I blame myself. I, we have 50 plus you know 50 states plus other territories and, and I'm I'm in the Northeast. So this is this is shame on me. But you're doing well. it well, are you doing it right? and we're really excited to have you on on the upriser podcast. So Paul had a chance to you know chat with you the other day a little bit and I was really um really interested to go to go deeper into a number of things. Mm-hmm. On the upriser podcast we focus on we focus on innovation, we focus on future of work and really kind of network effects and how how people can tap um outside talent and either if it that's remote talent or work within networks so they they can um Basically, advance faster, connect dots more quickly, bring bring new ideas to market, uh, learn <laughs> learn through experimentation faster, and then ultimately succeed and bring innovation forward. And when I got to learn more about you and the program that you that you chair out at UCSD, I was like, oh man, Paul's doing Paul's doing all these things uh, in an academic environment and and having incredible results. So. First and foremost, I'd love to hand the mic to you. Can you explain to, the, to folks you know, what the program at UCSD is all about, what you focus on, and maybe hint at some of the, uh, the impact that you're seeing, the metrics that you measure? But first and foremost, what do you do out, out at UCSD?
1: Sure. So my role is to head up what we call the Office of Innovation and Commercialization. Um, and the primary function of this group is to Uh, really implement the chancellor's plan for economic and social development in our region, right? So the chancellor um, developed back in 2014 a strategic plan for the entire campus. Um, Obviously, that revolves uh, considerably around education and research, but it also um, has uh, huge factors in there for community development, economic development, um, social development in our region's. And so um, I would say the function of my office really is as one of the units on campus, which is charged with uh, implementing that. So what does that mean? Well, um, there's two areas that uh, we really concentrate on. Um, There's talent and there's technology, right? Um, When you're talking about uh, economic and social um, prosperity, really, those are the two things, um, the two major buckets where a large university contributes to the region that it's in. Um, so in technologies, I think that's pretty obvious. We're one of the largest research institutions in the country. We do over $1.4 billion of research and we want to ensure that all of that, um, effort and public money that's gone into developing it becomes products and services and so on for the general public. But I think what you're talking about here today more is the talent side. Mm. Um, people, uh, I hope appreciate that universities are one of the, major drivers of uh, talent in the workforce in a region, um, particularly high-skilled talent um, in San Diego. That's very much uh, around life sciences, tech, um, wireless, communications, and so on. Um, now, what does that mean to develop talent? Well, uh, again, a university does a number of different things, right? It, it gives the specific skills um, required by people to be able to do their jobs. So that's why you go to an engineering and you get an engineering degree. Um, But we also are there to develop the core skills, the soft skills in any individual to allow them to be successful contributors to society. And that's really the end of the spectrum that I work on. How do you not just give people the sort of the hard skills that they need for a particular job, um, but how do you develop within them the confidence and the ability and the creativity to be um, positive contributors to society? And that really is innovation, right? And it really is entrepreneurship. And it doesn't matter if these students go off and start companies or work for the government or work for GE or, you know, some huge company. Um, We are trying to equip them with all of those skills that are going to enable them to be successful in their own right, but also then to contribute so that uh, we advance society. So that's kind of you know broadly what we do, and I, I can um, certainly get into some more of the details in terms of programs and so on. yeah, for sure. and I think I
0: think it's the 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 kind of rabbit hole that I want to go down is it certainly is the talent side, so thank you for recognizing that. And I think it's um, the the concepts around those core skills. I think that'll be really interesting for people listening in and and hearing you know hearing how your program is set up to to Deliver these, and you know, what comes to mind for me is you know, right now we're recording this, and yes, we're on separate coasts, and you've got the better weather, we, we've established this, <laughs> but we are both um doing this, uh, you know, amidst uh, amidst coronavirus, amidst a time uh-huh. where it is what is today, April 16th, I believe, and uh-huh. um, certainly the northeast is very heavily locked down. I know California, I'm sure you're homebound as well. And uh-huh. so many people are going to remote work, and so many people are now entering this this um, this new this new way of doing virtual work uh, and with with uh, virtual teams and doing things like this, is communicating in in new new and different ways that are you know a little bit a little bit different, especially for a um, a university where maybe you're used to getting people physically around you know around tables and, and creating that physical environment there as well. So I'd love for you to kind of. Um, identify some of those core skills like what what in particular are you trying to you know get out of people in in the first place and recognizing Mm -hmm. someone to kind of get that fire going for those core skills and then how do they translate also if this new way of work might stick around for quite a while or the a hybrid way of work just might be the way of the future because because obviously people can work remote people can be very effective from from a long distance Um, I'd love to hear more from you on the development of those core skills and, and kind of what you focus on with with the individuals that you're you're trying to trying to kind of uh, forge into entrepreneurs.
1: Sure. I mean, you've brought up an awful lot in there. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, but no, I mean, it, it's great that you've kind of brought up this, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a national or a global emergency, not just mm-hmm. a national emergency, obviously. Um, and, you know, out of every crisis, there is an opportunity. Um, what the crisis that we're currently in has highlighted is the rapid um, changing nature of work. Um, I think it's accelerated it. We all were told to go home and to work from home. Yeah. Um, but it's not something that wasn't happening already, right? I mean, the, the nature of work has been uh, has been changing for for decades. And you know, in a broader sense, that it, uh, this crisis has really brought home to us at the university, as it has to all the universities. Um, the changing role that universities play in helping to develop, create um, the workforce that is needed in today's environment. Um, so, you know, while obviously this is a crisis and I, I certainly don't mean to um, diminish it in any way, it's certainly an opportunity as well. Um, and it's, it's forcing us to to operate in, in new and different ways. Um, the types of skills, you know, that, that you're talking about... Um, they're really about adaptability, about leadership, about being able to uh, work in uncertain and risky environments, um, bringing to that uh, creative thinking, critical thinking, um, the ability to build teams um, around solutions and ideas, um, the ability to communicate, which um, is, is really highlighted in the, the current time because how we're communicating. I mean, I'm sitting here in my back porch, right? You're sitting in Connecticut, um, so it, it's obviously um, accentuated at the moment. Um, but communication is going to is going to um, change more and more rapidly. And you no, know, out of this crisis, we're actually looking at new um, frameworks and, and new technologies now to allow us to communicate. Um, I don't think the technology is quite there yet to to be able to completely substitute for personal interaction. But I certainly think it's getting there. Um, so those are the types of skills that we concentrate on. Um, you know, how we build programs around that. Uh, there's a couple of the core principles. One is experience. Uh, you, you will only be able to learn these types of core skills through experience, through, through trying it out in some sort of a supported environment um, that will allow you to experience it for yourself. Iterate, experience again, you know, and that's how you develop these skills. So really what that is about is, is creating the environment for our students to be able to um, experience and, and, and develop these skills in, in themselves. Now, what does that mean to create an environment? Um, it's really about connectivity. Um, we're connecting them to um, experience and expertise uh, globally that um, acts as a role model for them, um, to show them what success looks like, to show what successful people do, how they act, how they do these kinds of things, um, and also to um, act as mentors and advisors to them to, to help them to develop those skills. So, you know, that's, that's really what it's about, is about developing all those skills by creating the right environment for people to experience it for themselves. Now, the, you know, the, the interesting thing about where we're currently at is in having to do it all from our back porches. Um, you can certainly do a lot more, right? I mean, we run a, 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 um, a certificate in entrepreneurship, which used to be 100 people from our local region. Um, the current certificate has people from Singapore, China, Spain, Switzerland, you name it, kind of stuff. Um, so it certainly, you know, expands your, your reach and the scale at which you can do things. What it does not allow you to do is to get that kind of... Um, I don't know what the right word for it is, but that personal experience of having a a personal interaction. There is a lot to that. Um, And those kinds of uh, intangible learnings that you get from actually having people in a room um, looking at each other are valuable. And we're trying to figure out how do you um, recreate that in a situation where people can't actually be in a room together. And I don't think we, I haven't yet seen the technology which 100% substitutes for that yet. But that's, that's what we're looking at. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's. I'm sure it's been a
0: whirlwind as as it has been for pretty much all educators, right? That saying, okay, now now we have to even if you were uh, nearly fully virtual previously or just somewhat virtual previously, now it's like, hey, we are we are. That's it. We are fully virtual. Um, right. Something that's interesting to me is that the concept of the the opportunity, the silver lining of the the scale that digital does uh, provide, like you said. Um, are there any are there any specific techniques or or you know learnings that you've seen already that are effective? Now I understand that we can't have the the same exact you know feelings of of being in a room together. Like you said, that could even be learned. You talked about experience. That could be learning to read a room <laughs> like that. That's right. that's an experience, right? Learning right. learning when to uh, you know what learning when to pipe up or learning when to uh, or speak up or 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 stay quiet. Um, all all things that you that you definitely learn. Uh, Mostly from physical interactions inside a room, are, have there been some, um, some tricks or tips or things that you're seeing with your students or your faculty that as you've gone as you've gone virtual, that are um, mitigating or at least helping to bring it bring it to it, it feel more human and feel more feel more normal versus it being you know this, this big wall between between us or between you and your students
1: Yeah I mean there's a number of platforms out there which allow you to um, facilitate interactions on a number of different levels, right? So there are certain learnings that are teachings that you can teach um, in a much larger group of people uh, through your regular Zoom, like we're doing Zoom now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you then allow people to bring that back into a smaller environment so that they can try it out and, have, and you know, experience it for themselves personally? And there are a number of platforms now, certainly, that allow you to go into little side rooms or to, you know... Um, have sidebar conversations amongst the audience themselves. Um, There's some of these platforms now that are um, allowing the content to survive the actual meeting itself so people can go in back into it, uh, in and out of it, and it um, stays there over time. We found that to be extremely useful um, in, in people being able to go home, think about it, go back in experience it in a different way you know bring their their um, daily experiences to it and so on um so you know it's, it's trying to find those kinds of of um ways for people to internalize and personalize the content that they've that they've learned which you're never going to do in a room full of 100 people whether it's virtual or not um
0: yeah the smaller environment is just going to there's certain smaller, things, yeah, the certain things an intimate audience uh, allows for or is, is, is better for than, uh, than an arena, you know, no matter, how, no matter how you slice it, right? So whether that's a traditional classroom of, of 50 or 100, that's a one to many, or if you had a small pods of, of maybe six or eight individuals in, in a small, tight room, right?
1: And it's not just that, it's the... Um must the word for the sort of the temporal nature of the information, right? Hmm. Um, if it's something that disappears as soon as you as soon as you you know hit leave meeting kind of thing, uh, the value of that information is is diminished and it's far far less than if you can go back in and experience that information again and again and again. Yeah, I do wonder if there are some advantages to
0: or you know enhancements that could be um, learning digitally. And then you know, for me, I've, I'm still very much a I like to have a notebook. I still like to write things down. For me, even, even when I'm, I've been working from home for over 10 years, I still live and die by the pen because that's how I retain. And that's how I have notes that I can go right. back back right. to even though they're bad chicken scratch. Those are in my brain from our, our last conversation. And even if I take notes digitally, it's just not the same for me. <laughs> just just not, just not the same. It's just no, something,
1: no. something physical about the memory. And that's the personal nature of how everybody learns. You know, Whatever platforms it is that we use in the future have to accommodate. Everybody being different and everybody having a different way of of actually internalizing this. Um, And this idea of repetition, you know, I have a six-year-old in kindergarten, right? And that's how she learns. She learns by repetition. We do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Um, But that's not limited to kids. We all learn like that. Um, We don't realize it's repetition, but we're applying the same learning to different situations. Um, So we're going to have to um, develop platforms that allow us to do that and to constantly dip back in. Um, the one piece I have not seen is, um, and you alluded to it, was that seventy percent of communication is not verbal at all. Mm. Um, it's it's me looking at you even on the screen here gives a little bit of that seventy percent back, but it's not it's not the same as sitting in the room with it. you know are people leaning forward are they looking out the window yeah, this, uh, what are the the facial cues and so on yeah um, I haven't seen a technology that that has gotten us to the point um, that is that that is the same as personal interaction yet.
0: Yeah, not not quite yet, and we'll see we'll see how how far it can march and how fast it can march too. One of the practices we have at, at Topcoder, um, as as much as we possibly can, we are a completely virtual company, but we do cameras on at least. It's like if if you're in a meeting, of course, if you can't, if you're chowing down lunch, we all work from home, and you want to be respectable and not be on camera, your choice. But the um, the default is. You know, get your butt on camera. Be ready to be on camera, so you can be present, right. and that's so that because obviously we, we're sitting in front of a a computer and a phone, and 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 notebooks and other other things that can distract us while we're at home. And I think for folks who are not used to it, it can be very very easy to find yourself distracted if you haven't practiced, if you haven't been in a, in a home environment before. I have a nine and 12 year old upstairs. My wife is a mm-hmm. fitness instructor. So she's teaching digitally now as well. Um, mm-hmm. So the propensity for distraction is there. And that too is just practice. It's just, it's, just, it's getting right. yourself, same thing, getting yourself in the right environment so that you can have some quiet and peace and, and focus time. And then it's practice and, and really working at um, not being distracted. But little things such as hey, camera on, and try to have try to have at least decent lighting. We try to practice those too, just because they do add up to more meaningful conversations. And if we're gonna meet, um, you know, might as well make it effective. Might as well, <laughs> you know, it's it's a plenty of meetings can be emails, so um, or Slack sure. message for that matter.
1: So. Well, it- there is definitely that I have way too many meetings
0: yeah that, that's that's for certain we could drown in those another uh, so Paul another rabbit hole I did want to want to poke at is one of our uh, best customers great customer in the Pacific Northwest is is T-mobile and I had the pleasure of going out to Bellevue they've done a remarkable job of their brand their culture they like live and die and breathe magenta like they all march with that magenta feel to them and throughout their entire campus, One of the things you'll see up on banners and if you read, you know, if you talk to anybody there in leadership, it's a lot of it is around the ability and the empowerment to take smart risks. So they use that terminology quite a bit like, hey, go ahead, take smart risks. You um, I started when you were talking earlier about about the characteristics in which the things you're trying to it's I'm not sure. I mean, maybe you would say, yes, you can teach somebody that. I, I almost look at it as a, you draw it out of their personality or you try to magnify it if it's already yep. there and, and enhance it inside somebody. And mm-hmm. again, I go back to the the idea that you're at UCSD, you're creating an environment so they could have real life experiences. And I would assume, you know, um, take, take risks within the program, even though there's, I'm assuming, some guardrails up and things like that. So how do you pull the levers um, so that, a student inside your program can do so, that they can be empowered to take risks. But at the same time, yes, there's a safety net. However, you know, if if it's a full-on safety net, there's really no risk. So what's what's the balance there in an academic scenario where, you know, to me, when I think of an entrepreneur, I think they've got, at the end of the day, they've got gumption and they're willing to take a risk. They're willing to bet on something they believe in and they better find something they love and believe in because that's that's the, the passion is going to drive them and, and then they'll be able to probably come through it. Whether they win or not, they, yep. they're going to need that thrust. So how do you environmentally set something up that allows for you know, the practice of taking risk?
1: Yeah, no, it's a very good question. And that's really what we're trying to do is to, is to show them that you know, working in uncertain environments or risky environments is not a bad thing. Um, it can actually help you to uh, become a better person right? or to become a more successful person. I mean, there's a lot of different answers to that. I mean, from the uh, institutional perspective, first of all, you have to do a number of things. You have to um, um, lead by example, right? So, you know, if if we're an institution that isn't willing to take risks ourselves, um, then how are we possibly going to turn around and tell our students to do that? Um, So, for example, we we allow students to design the programs. Um, We tell them what, or we let them tell us, I should say, you know, what it is that uh, we should be doing. Um, and we put resources behind that and we actually run these programs and they're not always going to work. I mean, I know that I I can see with some of these programs when, when, you know, some students will come to us, it's like, yeah, it's not going to work, but you know, let's run it in some, in, in some way that's safe for the students. Um, so you have to lead by example. Um, you also have to show them you believe in them. Um, so, uh, that, you know, involves allowing them, giving them the space to make the mistakes that they're going to make. Um, but not uh, turning around and saying, I told you so after the do, you know, um, you will support them in that. They will make mistakes. Of course they will. Every entrepreneur makes mistakes, um, but you have to show them that you believe in them. Um, and then, uh, you know, how do you, how do you create an environment that, yes, allows them to do that, but at the same time has a safety net because these are students. Right? Yeah. Throughout all of this, the most important thing for all of our students is to get the degree. That's why they're there. So, you know, this is always in the background, uh, whatever degree it is you're going for, that's the most important thing. And if there is ever a situation where that is becoming compromised, um, because they're doing something else or whatever, we will always bring them back to that, you are here to get your degree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, you know, we make sure that those kind of very wide guard, guardrails, um, are, are in there. Um, but we, we have confidence in them. We show them that we have confidence in them by bringing the outside world to them and by bringing them to the outside world. Um, but we do it in a way that prepares the outside world to um, to expect what, that these are students, right? So, I mean, if we brought investors in, for example, and they behaved like they would if I was you know a regular entrepreneur going out and trying to raise money, it's not going to work, you know? So we prepare the investors. We say, come in. Absolutely, give them constructive um, criticism. Tell them where they're going wrong. Um, You know, try and provide um, some some guidelines for how they should pivot or how they should do it in a different way. But please always bear in mind, these are students. They are learning, right? Um, We need you to do it in a way that's respectful of that. So we prepare the people that are coming in um, so that we're not just beating these students down if they fail. We allow them to fail. Um, they fail themselves and we point that out but we say now what did you learn from that um, and you know how can we support you in taking that learning and going to the next thing so I mean it's there's a lot to that, to, to, how, to how we do that but those are the things we're just respectful of the fact that these are students they are there for a purpose and this other stuff um, is secondary to the the, to do the degree they're going to get um, and make sure that all of the interactions they have with the outside world are done in a nuanced way that that's respects that, right?
0: Yeah. No, it sounds like you set up a really just a, a healthy environment overall. That uh, you know, just again, it's about breeding. <laughs> it's about breeding that success so that when they do exit, um, they it just I think it's like an erosion of fear, right? And and it's again, it's not that doesn't mean you become stupid when all fear goes away. And and of course, right. you'll never be at a point where all fear is eroded. Um, however. With with practice and with um, with precision, you could be the most prepared, right? And then and then you could take your you right. could take your swings with as much oomph as possible. And you know those are just factors that that increase the likelihood that you're going to hit the ball.
1: Is what it boils down to. And um, and if you're paralyzed by the fear of failure, you will never hit the ball. Correct. Right? Because you're never going to swing at the damn thing. So exactly. yeah, so that's what we try and, and do. We allow them, to, we give them the respect, and that. To allow them to fail in a somewhat um, supported environment, um, so long as they learn from that, and then we support them to take that learning to the next thing. Yeah. You know, the people—the people who actually fail um, through our programs—learn more in, in many ways than the people who were lucky enough and in the right place in the right time to actually make something work first first time out. You know. Yeah, yeah. And it's—it's it's really what? Do, what do they do three years after they leave? What do they do five years after they leave? Um, that's really the the, um, the metric of success for us. You know?
0: Yeah, and the thing that, that comes through for me is that I, I feel, you know, we, we end up working with, well, we work with enterprises. At, that's at, at Top Coder. We work with, you know, we, that's who we cater to and that's who we work with. And some environments are um, really strong. Some environments, they have people that are specifically empowered or teams that are allowed to go use and try external tools and they are there to... Be on the edge, you know, and push and be, and and develop POCs and and try to try try to get to market faster and and just out innovate. Uh, and though they've become fantastic partners, the and then there's the 180, and it doesn't even have to go industry by industry. And it's 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 really not industry by. It's not like okay, banking is old and stodgy, therefore this, and uh, you know, telemedicine is new and hip, so therefore that. It's, it's actually more company by company. It's more just culturally driven, industry almost be damned, uh, whether it's um, a 150-year-old industry or a five-year-old industry. Um, it's the culture that says, okay, uh, we're allowed to experiment and we're okay. We're okay with, with um, failure, with rapid learnings, and then taking it and putting in parallel how many times you can attempt something so that you get to success faster and, and you're empowered to do that. Um, and that's, so, I,
1: I, I'm really glad you brought up the term culture because that's exactly what we're doing here, right? We're trying to create a culture um, to allow these people to do exactly what you just said. Um, And if we can do that and we can incubate people so that they all enter the workforce with that culture ingrained in them, then all of those industries you just described are going to be the better for it. Correct. Because they're they're all going going to go into the
0: They'll be amplifiers and they'll have network effects onto themselves. They'll be catalysts within places because... My, my gut says that the kind of folks who are coming out of your program who are going to you know, bring that to the enterprise, um, they're probably going to be rapidly successful, a lot of them. A lot of them are going to be quite successful. And they're going to be successful in a way of, of recreating that environment for their teams and then growing teams around that because they know that it, it breeds a certain... Um, a certain results that is more often not successful or at least at least um, an environment for a great rapid learning and then getting to success on the second or third or fourth or fifth or doesn't really matter but that, that next try which is really Christ. interesting and then i did you know i do want to ask you too you mentioned at the onset kind of the size of the program but i think some of the stats behind that are just really impressive in terms i think it will give people a sense of scale of what's going on at at, a, at ucsd on a yearly basis when we talked the first time, you were saying, Paul, that somewhere between 40 to 50 companies each and every year are incubated and kind of spawned out of the UCSD program that you lead. Um, how does that fluctuate? Is that pretty consistent? And has, how has that grown since, say, 2014 when, when the program started?
1: Yeah, um, the numbers, yeah, so you're right. Somewhere between 40 and 50 companies come off campus each year. Um, there's two groups in those companies. That's the ones that come out of the research enterprise, which typically is faculty, professors, you know, and their labs develop the technologies. And then they, we license technologies into new companies. Um, and the other bucket are the students. So the students themselves come up with their own ideas. They go through our incubator programs. They make companies in the way they go. Um, over the, uh, say, last five years or so, uh, the numbers have close to doubled. Um, and I think that is in large part, well, it's because of a lot of different things, um, but the leadership in the university has created this culture that you just described. Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to go away and make programs and fail. I mean, they don't like if I fail too much, mind you, sure. but you know, you're know, allowed to experiment and hopefully you learn and you create better programs. Um, and that culture pervades across the entire university. And I think that has helped. Um, all of the schools, engineering and business and health and medicine and so on, uh, to create this environment which has resulted in this almost doubling of companies that are are coming off the campus. Um, And and it's terrific. (laughs) You know, in in 2017, um, the the last year we had complete stats for the country, Uh, only MIT created more um, companies than UC San Diego. So,
0: yeah, uh, we we think
1: we're doing the right thing.
0: I I think, you know, it's, one of those things where stats don't lie right so those are those some some really compelling stats so i think it'd be really cool to understand what do you think the next the next five years for for the program holds or maybe it's shorter term i'll I'll allow you to you know put up if you want to put time around that but how do you see it progressing further still what are some of the big the big ways in which you'd like to see it progress what you know do you get to a point where you're like, okay, well, that's about as big as it can be or as impactful as it could be, or is it a continuous, you know, evolution and continuous improvement cycle? And if it is the latter, then kind of what's, you know, what's, what's peaking you right now? How do you want to see it uh, progress and grow from here?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, if, 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 you know, we were, if we were maxed out, I'd leave, right? Yes. You know, that's not too. <laughs> I mean, so somebody else can do it, right? Yeah. Um, You know, the two big keywords for me over the next five years are scale and diversity. Um, How do you bring this kind of an environment to more and more students? We probably reach about, I don't know, I'll just say 3,000 students a year um, in in a real sense on campus. There are 40,000 students on campus. Um, How do I get to 10,000? How do I get to 20,000 students? And this gets back to the original conversation that you um, had with me, which was, how do, you, how do you go virtual? How do you scale? How do you bring new platforms to allow more people to interact in, in uh, real and impactful ways? Um, and that that was, you know, the conversation we had. We're, we're figuring this out and, and therein lies the opportunity of this crisis is to accelerate that kind of conversation. Um, you know, if you're if you're relying on putting people in the room entirely, scaling is very, very difficult. So we have to figure out a different way of doing it. The second half of it is diversity. Um, Still, uh, not unlike any other program in a large university, I suspect, uh, the diversity is not where we would like it to be. We don't have enough women um, engaging in this word innovation or entrepreneurship, Um, even though companies with women founders tend to be more successful. We are still in low double digits, I believe, in terms of the companies across the country that are founded with women, uh, women founders. Um, That's hideous. So we're losing out on half the country, right? Um... But also there's, there's diversity, ethnic diversity. Um, and a big one for me is uh, the diversity of um, the, the disciplines that people are coming from. We can fill a room with engineers all day long. When they hear entrepreneurship, they want to make widgets and it's fantastic and they'll, they'll solve all the world's problems, right? Um, and again, I'm not diminishing that at all, but what I would like to see is far more that... Um, You know, poli-sci people, economics people, uh, dance and theater people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, oceanographers and everybody else all feel that they have a role to play and they have a contribution to make in this conversation of innovation and entrepreneurship. We're beginning to see that, um, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be. And that's an issue of language um, and focus. You know, if you go in and say, right, um, you know, I want to... Develop a program which is going to create prototypes um, and companies to solve the urban mobility problem. You ain't going to get no dancers or, or theatre people or even economists, frankly, um, yeah. joining that program. You know, but if you go in and say, um, "I want," um, I'm developing a program where students can come in and engage with the community and provide solutions to civic challenges. That's an entirely different conversation, and you don't use the word entrepreneurship at all. Um, so what we're looking in there is um, for a new language of inclusivity to increase the diversity of people that engage. Because until we do that, um, as a country, uh, we're not going to be where we should be. You know, and it's not just at a university level. This is throughout society. If we don't have that inclusion, that diversity, and that scale of people, um, and that welcoming, I'm going to throw it in there as an immigrant, <laughs> and that welcoming to people from other parts of the world, to um, help us achieve what we need to achieve, and we're not gonna get them. I I
0: think some of the the psychological framing of how problems or challenges or or opportunities are presented, like you said there, if if you frame something uh, too acutely, very few people are going to feel they're up to that challenge particularly right they're, I'm not an expert in that i I could never I could never right uh, they can't yep. because they because they don't they can't envision themselves having an impact there or or maybe even a desire to to go solve that particular problem however, um yeah, opening the net psychologically opening the net wider through language and probably just marketing <laughs> you know go just getting getting into uh different people's ideas that they they can have an impact in a different way, even though, uh, or, or a, or a path that they they might not have taken that could, that can uh, have a, a much larger societal impact that they just maybe weren't thinking of yet. It's a, it's a cool challenge to go solve for. And it's, um, yep. it's a bit psychological. It's a bit, it's a bit marketing. Uh, it's, I think it's all, all around framing and language and mm-hmm. in inviting, inviting those people in and, and seeing, seeing where it leads. Cause I, I'm with you that, it, that, uh, you know, you could probably bet your bottom dollar it will lead to 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 some exciting uh, innovations and breakthroughs, and certainly, of course, just different different points of view, which which we know will, will spur um, spur a lot of uh, ideas. And I'm a big fan of looking at a of, of a near near field um, near field applications. So somebody who learned something in a different field, it could be it could be adjacent, or it could be even you know. A, couple of steps away from adjacent and then reapplying those learnings into something that, uh, others have been maybe studying for 20, 30 years, but doing so with blinders on, um, mm-hmm. and doing so without, without diversity of thought. Um, and then other people could come from the outside world and a learning that they, that they absorbed in, in, in their niche, in their domain can be applied or something from it can be, can be used that really, you know, Puts that it right. can really solve, and we see it all the time. We, we run a lot of innovation challenges on Topcoder. Some of them in the data science category, and v- the vast majority of of the data science challenges they get solved. Uh, while they're all like strong mathematicians solving those types of challenges, we'll be doing like a biochem challenge. The winners they they don't have domain in biochemistry m- most often. They have deep domains somewhere else and broad enough curiosity and mathematics base that they can apply what they've learned in one scenario and apply it to a biochem or genetics challenge, even though they're not classically trained at all in that domain. And they will typically blow away um, the results that you would just get if you were only confined to people that were subject matter experts. And it's because of the application of, of thought and how they approach a problem with Something that somebody who's just in that, that nat- more narrow field probably was just never exposed to. So there's, there's great truth in what you're saying, just naturally, that, that cross pollination is going to breed, um, it's going to innately breed innovations and, and really, really set a lot of ideas free in a way that, um, unless you're open to that, uh, then you're probably being too closed minded. <laughs> you
1: know, there's, there's, yeah, such, yeah. there's such opportunity there. And it's that diversity of thought and diversity of perspective that really leads to true disruption and true innovation. <clears throat> um, just because somebody's looking at the same thing in a different way, you never know what you know. And that actually, if you uh, if you carry that one step further for us in the academic world, it kind of um, uh, what's the word? It kind of throws into question the way that we educate people, yep. right? We we tend to, as you go further and further in education, you get deeper and narrower and more and more focused. Is that really what we're looking for as a, as a society? Um, you know, if you go back to before the Industrial Revolution, gentlemen went and read and eaten kind of stuff. You know, I mean, it, it was an entirely different, much more rounded um, sort of form of education, which taught people to think. Yep. Um, and yet you'd wonder, have we lost something in moving away from that model?
0: I'm with you. And I actually think that a lot of the future, the future skills that you're talking about, going circling back to those core skills it's, you know, it's around, it's, it's going to be around folks who really understand communication, who really, and, and again, getting back to what you said earlier too, it cannot be just virtual. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of hyperbole, especially right now saying we will never get back to normal because of, because of the virus. And of course the, the reality is there's just going to be a, a new, a new future. That's all that that means. And um, getting back with people and cheersing over a pint and and cheering with fifty five thousand people in a stadium and hugging people that you want to hug because you haven't seen them in, in a year or so uh, or a week doesn't really matter. That will all come back. That will all we'll we'll have it again. I'm a I'm a, a firm optimist there.
1: Um, it better. <laughs> no, it, it will. That that, I that will it. come
0: back. I'm we'll, <laughs> um, I, I will stake stake everything I have that we'll get back there and we'll get back there sooner than I think we all uh, potentially think to. Uh, but I'm an optimist. I'm definitely glass half full there. Uh, I I believe it. I believe in the I mean,
1: norm normal is always changing, right? The normal exactly. we had in January was completely alien to somebody twenty years ago. Yeah, 100%, you know, we we just as you're living it, you may not realize it, but normal changes all the time. So Correct. this is just another catalyst in changing normal.
0: Yep, and, and at the at the core of all that, I do I do really agree with the idea that those those with the broader skills and those with, with um with a really um Really sharpened communication skills going into the future are going to be those that can succeed, especially if they're coming through a program like yours. Get it, getting the getting the assets, getting the, the 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 tutelage, and and again that practice that that uh, your program at UCSD provides, I think, is that environment uh, plus just um, great practice and communications. Are those in the future that are going to going to succeed um quite a bit versus some of the folks that are just doing the the really narrow uh focus work there's always need for specialists and and then with platforms and with talent platforms out there uh generalists who have great comm skills that know how to access specialists and use them and bring them in and out of work and be you know hyper effective with them because they have the great soft skills along with that um, i think they're sitting in a really really interesting pole position. And it sounds to me like, you know, the environment and the the program that you are, that you're the vice chair of um, at UCSD is, is really helping people get there and prepare them for the future. So I think it's a I think it's a great thing you have going there. So, Paul, I want to say thank you so much for uh, for joining me today and joining us on the Upriser podcast. Um, Paul, if folks want to find out more about you, follow you socially, find out about maybe writings or videos or, or programs at UCSD, what's the best way that they could uh, find out more about you and the program that you that you're uh, you're in charge of?
1: Um, one of the easiest ways is just go to the website, which is innovation.ucsd.edu.
0: Okay, cool. We'll put that in the uh, in the footnotes as well. So thanks so much, Paul. Have a great, stay safe out there. Enjoy. You're you sure. got the beautiful weather, so stay safe and have fun <laughs> and get, get the beautiful sunshine. And uh, if we ever do get the chance to 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 you know physically meet, I'll come out to the west coast hopefully, hopefully soon. And uh, I maybe I could buy you a pint or something like that, and we could, we can enjoy one at, at a pub.
1: Well, do remember I'm Irish, so anybody who offers to buy me a pint will buy me a pint. (laughs)
0: There it is. (laughs) Perfect. All right, Paul. Thanks so much and have a great day.
1: Thanks. Pleasure. See you.
0: If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Upriser podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, so it's pretty easy. And of course, I encourage you to follow us out on social at Upriser, U-P-R-I-S-O-R, on Twitter. And also, I would encourage you to follow Topcoder, at Topcoder,
1: T-O-P-C-O-D-E-R.